You're listening to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Thank you so much for downloading and joining the discussion today. It should be a fun one as we're going to have two topics to discuss. The first one is actually uh, what happened at Azusa Pacific University recently and talking about uh, what's going on there. And then secondly, I'm going to be responding to a listener question. I had someone send in a question on where do rights come from? And they sent this in on Instagram. And so we're going to be talking about these two different aspects. And joining me for today's discussion is Neil Harden. Neil, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, you are a you are a regular. You've been on a few times. <laughs> this is true. And uh, it's a little bit more difficult now because if if you follow Coffeehouse Questions for some time, then you know Neil was my roommate. And so when I wanted him on the show before, I uh, walked about five feet down the hallway, knocked on his door, and said, "Hey, Neil, do you want to join me on today's discussion?" And he mostly obliged. Uh, now we are no longer roommates, and so it's a little bit more difficult. But I'm glad that you're here, Neil. Glad to be here. And life is going well with your classes. Yes, I'm graduating this May with my MA in theology and hoping to continue doing on more things as the future goes on. And uh, I know you're looking at PhD programs. Is there Was there one in, speci- in particular? Uh, right now, I'm favoring the PhD program at Wheaton uh, because it's fully funded and there's a professor there, Mark Cortez, that I would love to study under. And what would be the uh, specific emphasis if you have one? Uh, Christology and sexuality. Awesome. Wond- wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Um, I also recently, just yesterday, put out a YouTube video uh, that you can find if you go to youtube.com and then type in Ryan Polly. As I've mentioned a few times, I put out videos and almost daily videos uh, answering questions that my students have. And yesterday's video was in response to what took place at Azusa Pacific University uh, with the now approving of or at least allowing LGBTQ relationships. And so uh, the question that came up there and that I responded to was, uh, is God's love selective? And that's what we're going to talk about. But I would encourage you to go check out that YouTube channel where that video has been posted. Also, there's many ways for you to get in contact and for you to follow. Uh, YouTube, like I mentioned, is a great point. Uh, Facebook.com slash Coffeehouse Questions. You can see the videos posted there. You can interact and ask your questions. Uh, Instagram at RyanPolly3. I post all the videos there as well. And the listener question that we're going to be talking about on the second part of today's show was posted on Instagram. And so that's a great way, again, to interact, to see all the videos. I have uh, interaction questions that I post on my story. And then you can obviously also follow uh, on Twitter at RyanPolly3 or text in your questions at 714-989-6927. Or I guess if you're more old school, email them in at uh, contact at coffeehousequestions.com. So those are all the ways. And then again, if you are listening on uh, iTunes or any podcasting app, I'd love for you just to head over and click those stars. Uh, a higher rating helps this be more available and visible to more people. And so if you enjoy it, I would love for you to take that quick moment to go over there. You don't even have to write a review. Just hit those stars and rate it, and that would be much appreciated. If you want to leave a review, you can definitely do that as well. So... Getting into today's uh, discussion of uh, what happened at APU, uh, this is something that we discussed. Actually, I think, Neil, you joined me on the show before to discuss the first decision. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So so back in, was it September? Yep. September, uh, APU uh, changed their rules saying that they were going to allow for same-sex and LGBTQ relationships. About a week later, the board of trustees stepped in and said, no, we did not approve this. We're going back to our view that we hold to with biblical sexuality between one man and one woman. And now about six months later, the change has been reversed again mm-hmm. to where now they're allowing for LGBTQ relationships. Neil, do you have any kind of uh, insight on this as far as what's going on here at APU? I mean, 
back in December, there were also two board members that had resigned. And basically, they had said APU is drifting away from its orthodox positions on sexuality. And so perhaps this uh, new decision by the board is reflective of those two other members resigning. Um, but they, even back in December, were seeing some driftings away from the orthodox position on sexuality. Yeah, and it, and it was even interesting, as, as news broke out about this, uh, a lot of articles were posted. And, and one article was posted of a professor of practical theology at APU uh, doing a prayer back in September when the re- decision was reversed, mm-hmm. almost in... in uh, Oh my goodness! We need to pray for our our university and that they are not allowing this. And, and so here are the professors of practical theology, and I and I talked to students who attend APU that were my former students, uh, telling them how they are assigning books by Matthew Vines, God and the Gay Christian, arguing for uh, uh, same sex relationships within a biblical view of marriage. And these are not assigned as in like, hey, here's another perspective to understand. It's here is the perspective, and here is a viable perspective uh, by some of the professors in the theology classes. And so one thing that really stood out to me is in uh, this recent um, uh, change of events, uh, an organization called Brave Commons uh, published a Facebook post in celebration and announcing the news of what took place at Azusa Pacific University. And in this Facebook post, they they posted two pictures. Uh, one picture was of a group of what looked like students celebrating with rainbow flags, uh, the news of what had happened at the university. And the second picture was, was a picture of four girls that had taken sidewalk chalk and written on the ground at the trolley stop at APU, God's love is not selective. And, and that you are welcome here. You are meant to be here. And, and so this really caused me to think about the love of God. And that was the most recent YouTube video I put out. Uh, but but what is what is God's love like? Uh, is it selective? Uh, does it choose one gender over another? Does it choose one uh, relationship over another? Does it choose Christian over non-Christian? What really is God's love like? Uh, does he love the whole world? And how does this play out in the real world? Um, and so, uh, Neil, I know that you've kind of know more about the organization Brave Commons and kind of what they've been pushing for at uh, APU and have studied the ideas of gender and sexuality and the theology of that. Uh, How does God's love kind of interact with same-sex LGBTQ relationships as far as uh, as how that works out? Yeah, so what they pushed at APU was to make it okay for romanticized same-sex relationships. So just to be clear, APU still affirms that uh, within the covenant of marriage, sex is only between a man and a woman, and so they are still orthodox in that sense, but now they have moved to say that, well, we don't discriminate against heterosexual couples to monitor their every move and say, oh, you can have romanticized relationships, and since they also say that we don't make our students uh, procre- uh, profess to be Christians, so we're also now go- not going to enforce uh, biblical standards of morality on um, same-sex relationships and say, oh, now you can um, now you can be in romanticized relationships. But when we think about the idea of love, we really have to think, okay, well, what does Scripture mean when it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated? Or um, when God, God so loves the world, like... Obviously, there's a universal nature to God's love in one sense, but also the, the there are psalms and other scriptures which say that like God hates wickedness and God hates wicked people and evildoers. So yeah. there's a sense in which God can both love and God can both hate. Um, so we need to be able to hold those ideas in tension. Um, 
And specifically with the idea or with uh, regards to LGBT conversation, we have to think, okay, um, God, when, when we think about the intersection of sin with love, like 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So that by definition means that God is excluding things which he calls wrongdoing or evil or sin. So we can't think of love in the universal sense that it accepts everything because that's just impossible. Like truth by definition is exclusive. Yeah. Um, so it's not a matter of whether they are including everything because even they would say, oh, we're not a fe we, we would never affirm things like pedophilia or we would never affirm things like, um, I don't know, bestiality or, or other incest. things. Yeah, or anything like that. So even they are saying that love has limits. Yeah. Um, so, but they're now including, okay, LGBT, gay, lesbian, bisexual, like these kinds of relationships are, should be accepted, but they're still in excluding other things. Yeah. And I think that's a great point that I pointed out in the video is that I think that we are all being exclusive. Uh, we are all being selective. And I think it's a very uh, surface level statement to just say, God's love is not selective. And we should ask the question, well, what do we mean by love? And I think you just pointed out there of that has a very, a much deeper understanding than maybe most Christians understand. We stick to the very simple to understand scriptures of that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us, that God is love and he has commanded us to love. Uh, but then we kind of overlook the scriptures, as you mentioned, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau, the Psalm 5, where God hates evildoers and he abhors the wicked. What do we do with this and how do we reconcile it? And so hopefully this will be kind of the topic of future uh, discussion here on the podcast. Uh, but I think it's simplistic to just say, well, God's love is not selective. Well, what do we mean by love? And then also, what do we mean by selective? Is it wrong to be selective? Well, and everyone is being selective to a degree. Uh, and I think the, the question really is, are we being selective based on knowledge or based on preference? And, and I think uh, one example that I like, and I think that this goes well, and I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, Neil, but uh, is, is if I go to McDonald's and say, I want a senior citizen coffee, they're not going to give me one. Why? Because I'm not a senior citizen. If I go to the movie theater and say, I want a student discount, they're not going to give me one. Why? Because I'm not a student, right? To, to be selective based on definitions is not wrong. We do this all the time. But imagine if McDonald's said, we can give a coffee to anyone or a senior citizen coffee to everyone. And I walk in, and I say, I'd love a senior citizen, senior citizen coffee. And they say, no, sorry. Well, why not? Well, we just don't like you. That is a lot more worse, right? That is being selective based on preference rather than selective based on knowledge, based on a true factor definition. And so what seems like here is, 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 is saying, well, God's love is not selective. He loves all people. He's open to all people. Well, except for these relationships. Rather than uh, what I would say is that God's love is selective in a sense, but it's based on truth. It's based on knowledge. It's based on definitions uh, where he is very clear in how he acts and how he works with other people. Uh, Christianity is exclusive. Mm -hmm. It makes exclusive claims. And this is one of the problems that I think that our culture has with Christianity is exclusive, mm -hmm. the exclusive nature of it. But all religions and all views are exclusive. Mm -hmm. Even the inclusivists say that exclusivists are wrong. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is something that, that really needs that discussion. And it's difficult when it comes to aspects of gender and sexuality. Something that we hold very dear to our being, very dear to our emotions and who we are. And so for someone to say that you're wrong, that hurts a lot more than if you just say, you know, two plus two is six because you're a kid and you don't know and someone says you're wrong. It doesn't really attack the very nature of who people view themselves to be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and we have to keep in mind in this whole discussion that God's not um, excluding LGBTQ people because he's like trying to pick on them in particular. Like they are naturally excluded because of the type of a relationship marriage is meant to be, the type of a relationship that even romance is meant to be. Like the one, the one thing that I think this damages most um, in this conversation, like their APU's decision, is that it totally distorts what romance is meant to be. Hmm. Um, romance is, I don't know anyone who says, yeah, I'm just going to date you and engage in romance forever without having that culminate in some kind of sexual relationship or in marriage or doesn't have that in mind when they ask someone out. Yeah. But now they're saying, hey, you know, and this is Brave Commons argument is like, hey, we can be in romantic relationship without being sexual, which is true, but it completely disregards the purpose of what romance is meant to be, which is to lead to marriage and sexual relationships eventually. Yeah. Well, I think that's an interesting discussion of, of, I mean, the Christian view of marriage, and maybe this is a wrong view, uh, is that you, you date kind of for marriage. Like what, you know, you don't just, don't just mess around and have fun. It'll lead to problems. You, you kind of, you want to pick someone who is right to marry. So, I mean, what would be the argument or the position of, you know, why, why are we dating and why are we getting romantic if we disagree with this? Now, I don't know, you might know this with Brave Commons. Is there view that uh, same sex marriage is also wrong? Or is this just one small step if they're now getting APU to allow for romantic relationships, but not marriage and sex? But we hope that to, for, you know, in the future to get to that point. No, they, they fully believe in that same-sex marriage is okay and celebrated by God. Um, so their agenda long-term is to get Christian schools to eventually adopt uh, positions which accept same-sex marriage as well. So not just romantic relationships, but not the sexual part of it. Right. Okay. Um so that's, again, just very interesting how this is all playing out. And so APU saying we still hold true uh, to our position. Now, one last thing I want to kind of think about is it's true that APU does continue to affirm a biblical view of sexuality, but they say, well, look, our students aren't Christians, and so therefore we don't expect them to hold to Christian values or live according to that value. And I, and I think that is true in some sense, right? We learn in the New Testament where, you know, you don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians uh, because they're not. Uh, however, I know, at least in my high school, when a person, and even in jobs, when you agree to work for a company, you're also agreeing to live or to, to work according to their standard. And a Christian university should be able to say, look, I know you're not a Christian, but if you choose to come here, this is how we expect you to live. And if you hold to traditional sexuality, then we expect to, you to live according to that. Uh, would, I mean, is that too much to ask? I mean, I don't think so. Businesses should and schools should be allowed to uphold a code of conduct that they want their employees to abide by and even their students. Like no one is forcing them to work for that employee and no one's forcing them to go to that school. It was their choice to go there. So when they are when they are choosing to go there, they are also choosing to abide by the principles that they hold to. Yeah. It's kind of like I worked at a hotel and they made you shave every single day and it was miserable. I hate, <laughs> I hate shaving. That's why I have a beard right now. It was miserable. But it's again, if you want to work here, this is what we expect. If you don't want to do it, well, then don't work here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's similar to schools. If you don't like the way that it happens, you can go pick another school. You're not forced to come to this university. If you want to come here, this is how we live. And, I, you know, I think it even relates to my school where my my students are not Christian. And they go, I don't think that we should have to take four years of Bible. You know, this should not be mandatory. This should be an elective. Okay, I'm glad you think that. But we do think this is necessary. We do think this is important. And our rules are that you take four years of Bible. So if you want to come here, you're going to take four years of Bible class. 
And this is an agreement that you go into choosing to come to this school. So moving along, as we've talked about this, and again, I talk more about this in the video. You can go check it out on the YouTube channel to search Ryan Polly uh, there. But this kind of goes into uh, of what are the rights? Uh, what rights do we have? And this gets into my listener question. So I'm going to read uh, this message actually from Ryan. Uh, this is a real Ryan. It's not me uh, posing as a fake question. This is another Ryan. It's Ryan D, as he described himself here. So here's what Ryan D says. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and I really appreciate the work you put into it. It has helped guide a lot of thought about how to approach difficult topics with my secular friends. Recently, a good friend of mine who is adamantly not religious and I discussed what makes a human right and what body grants human rights. We ultimately agree to disagree. I propose that human rights namely life and liberty, were given by God, and an infringement of those rights was punished and forgiven by God. He stayed on the side in which human rights do not exist because humans, as evolved animals, have no inherent entitlement to anything, and that rights were, and that rights were only as good as the granting government. That's the long way of me introducing the question. What are basic human rights? Where do they come from? And how can we have this conversation about human rights with the secular world? It would be awesome if you could tackle this on the podcast. So here we are tackling this topic, and uh, I got Neil to help me tackle it. Uh, but first of all, Ryan, thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm really glad that it has helped you to address some of these difficult conversations with your secular friends. That's why I do it, and I'm glad to hear that some people really are appreciating it, and it's helping them. So, uh, Neil, maybe I'll start with you. Uh, where do rights come from, and uh, what are basic human rights? Yeah, well, I'd say you're the, the listener <clears throat> who wrote in got it right and say that rights come from God. And that has to be where rights come from. Otherwise, they end up being meaningless, in my opinion. Um, and to his uh, atheist friend's credit, like, without God in the picture, the highest authority we have for rights is government or society or um, even like communities or the individual. But you know, if society or if the government or if the individual said, if it's merely up to them, then what do we say about like 1800s America where slavery was legal? Where do we put uh, oppression of women? Where do we, you know, all these things that throughout history have been approved of by society or even by governments or by clans or tribes or individuals like how do we call those things wrong or how do we say that we violated someone's rights if those things are simply grounded in the fiat of the government or these other things. So rights have to come from God because that's the only objective source for which we, either as a society or as a government or as a people, can say, no, we're not going to allow slavery because it's violating someone's rights. Or, no, we, we aren't going to allow um, murder in our country because that violates someone's right to life. So ultimately, rights have to be grounded in God. Absolutely. And, and I agree in the sense of, yes, it, the rights in which we experience and see have to come from God. Uh, but I would say that your friend, the non-religious friend, is 100% right. Mm -hmm. uh, and this really is a debate between worldviews. The secular worldview says God does not exist. Therefore, the highest authority, as he mentioned, is the government. And therefore, human rights don't exist. Mm -hmm. There is nothing above the government. And that's where Neil made the, a really good point in response. So the question was uh, also, how do you have a conversation uh, with uh, about human rights with the secular world? Simple. 
Um, when the government legalized slavery, was it good? Was it right? You would have to say yes. And I've mentioned this on the show before. This then leads to, I think, the logical conclusion that every single social reformer throughout history was evil. If the government decides morality and the government gives and grants rights, then the, you only have the rights that the government has given you and, and whatever laws become good. And then if you are the person in culture fighting for something that is not yours and fighting against what is good, then that by definition makes you evil. And are we really going to say that every social reformer throughout history was wrong and evil and fighting for something that doesn't exist? Or are we going to say that the people fighting for the freedom of slaves were doing what was good and right because the slaves do have freedom that we were not giving them, that we were taking away that right? The same thing with the right to vote or the women's rights or anything. And so I think this is a simple question that can be asked to a secular friend and say, is this really how we view the world? Are you going to grant that, yes, they didn't have rights and everyone fighting for them was ego, but now we did give them rights and now that's the good thing. Uh, what would you say, Neil? I mean, what would you, if someone just granted that and say, yes, that's absolutely right. Slavery was good in the 1800s and they didn't have a right, but now they do. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you can't really like say much because they're <laughs> accepting the consequences of their own worldview. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, most people have uh, a moral intuition and all humans have moral intuition. That's part of being created in God's image. Um, but most people have a moral intuition, which has been shaped by our society and, and, I think, by the image of God, which tells us that, you know, slavery is wrong, like the oppression of others is wrong, and that they have human rights. It's not okay to just murder uh, on your own whim or other things like that. Yeah. And this kind of goes along with what I was actually teaching my high school class today. Uh, we were going over the secular view of why does God allow evil and what is evil according to a secular worldview. And I think the famous Richard Dawkins quote is where he he kind of lays out and says, look, you know, the world that we see, and this is not a direct quote, but this is my remembering from, you know, my my my, my version from memory, but the world that we see is, is one that we would expect if at bottom there is no design, no purpose, no evil, and no other good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Uh, and it's simple that is, is this, is that uh, design comes from a designer and when something has been designed, it is designed for a purpose. So design then leads to purpose. And how should we live? And when you have purpose, now you know if what you are doing with that thing is good or bad. And so it's simple. You can use any object, uh, an iPhone. How is an iPhone designed? Well, it has a screen and it has a button and it has a microphone and a, and a speaker and a camera. And so what is the purpose of an iPhone? Well, Apple made it for the purpose of communicating and talking and, and contacting and, and taking pictures of life. Now, what is a good use of the iPhone? Doing those things. What's a bad use of the iPhone? Using it as a hammer, right? And the, and the example can go on. You know, you have a coffee mug. How is it designed? Well, it has thick sides and it has a handle. So what's the purpose? Holding hot liquid. That's why it was designed. So what's a good use? Putting hot liquid in it. What is a bad use? One of my, one of my students said, smashing it over someone's head. Yes, that would be bad on multiple <laughs> levels, but we can do this. And so the simple thing is what Richard Dawkins is saying is this, is if there is no God, if atheism is true, there is no God. Therefore, there is no design of our universe, which means there is no ultimate purpose. And therefore, you cannot compare. What are you going to compare to? If good, if a good thing is going and using something for its original design and bad would be going against the design, how then do we define the word good? 
good simply just being what we like and don't like. Now, oftentimes people try and sneak morality in the back door and they go, well, good is, is helping people. Well, now you're saying the purpose of life is to help people. But there's no purpose if there's no design. If we're not designed to love people or designed to do that, then this is just coming from our evolution. It's just coming from our being. And evolution in science is descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what is, doesn't describe how you should be, right? Science simply says when you put a knife in someone's body, it will make them bleed. It doesn't say whether you should put the knife in their body or not. Uh, You know, that changes based on situations. You're trying to kill them, bad. If you're a doctor, yeah, you can put knives in people. <laughs> it changes, but science and your DNA cannot give that moral intuition. However, I think, and this is what I went over with my students today, that when you, one of the most basic human instincts is to be able to tell right from wrong, I think. Uh, that from a very young age, you know when goodness has been violated. When someone takes the little kid's toy, you know, he, he responds, she responds. Something shouldn't be taken from me. And I think that to to reject the idea of morality and rights, something that comes very basic to us, we just have a human intuition and knowledge of when a, a goodness has been violated, simply to hold true to a worldview that says that good doesn't exist and evil doesn't exist, man, that's a difficult thing to do. But I think that's kind of the, the maybe the conclusion that your friend is coming to. Because I think how the argument goes in my mind, how the argument goes is if atheism is true, then evil doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Evil does exist. Therefore, atheism is true. Or sorry, atheism is false. <laughs> it's false. Um, and so you either have to say, one, if you're going to say that atheism is not false, either one of your first two premises are false. And some people then go, well, be, evil doesn't exist. Evil isn't actually real. Rights aren't actually real. It's just a creation of the government. I don't know. I think it, it's hard to deny that. It's a, it's a basic human instinct. It's an understanding that we have to see rights have been violated. Yeah, you have to go through a lot of mental loops and gymnastics to deny even the very existence of evil. And that's what someone in that position, they'd have to come to that conclusion if they are saying that rights don't exist. Because if rights don't exist, then how can you possibly do evil against someone else? Because yeah. like evil comes when because you violate their rights and because you've taken something from them that rightfully belongs to them or you've... Um, yeah, you've violated something that shouldn't have been violated. So that's, yeah, it's a difficult position to be in. Absolutely. Well, let's take the last like three minutes and and let's ask, actually answer his first question of of what would you say are basic human rights? Do we have a right to healthcare? Do I know you've kind of written on the idea of healthcare? (laughs) Do we have a right to, you know, what do we have rights to? I would say first and most fundamental is the right to life. Um, And I think actually the Declaration of Independence give, gets at least a good, like under the rubric of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like those are pretty basic and standard. Um, we, we could flesh those out into like um, oh, enumerating other things like the, the UN Charter of Human Rights is often looked to as a pretty good standard of like these are fairly basic human rights. So whether that's like the right to live or the right to not be enslaved or the right to uh, you know, be able to work for a living or other rights like that, then I, I think that's mostly a, uh, a good list to look to. Um, although, interestingly, the UN does not ground that in God. So it's ultimately just asserting that these rights exist because 
they're the UN and they can say such things. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, now to kind of go back to our first discussion, uh, the right to the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if, hey, being in this relationship makes me happy. Do we have the right to the relationships? And can we demand I should be able to be in this relationship or that? Uh, or, or what is How do we draw that line of where the pursuit of happiness ends of this thing makes you happy, but it's still wrong. You can't do it. Yeah, so we have to, the founders, when they used the word happiness, it wasn't just whatever happiness was relative to the person. Like they they grounded that in a morality that ultimately stemmed from Christianity. So we can't say that whatever makes someone happy is therefore good because we could look at someone like a serial killer who is, makes it, it makes him happy to like to rape women. But we would obviously say that that's not a good thing to do. And yeah. So it's like happiness obviously has its limits. Um, now, within a secular country like ours, we can't uh, have that. Or we can't have the fullness of like Christian uh, virtues and morality like imposed on everyone. But we have to draw the line somewhere. Um, so I, I think there's there's good reasons that we shouldn't, uh, or I should say, like institutions like APU, for example. Going back to that conversation, like they should have the right to say. You know, if you weren't going to this school, like you have a right under the law currently to um, to live the way you want. But if you're going to come to our school, then you need to uphold uh, Christian values. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that is our time for today. So, Neil, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's always fun having you on the show. Yeah. And uh, thank you for this good conversation. Absolutely. And thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget that April 5th event down in San Diego. Have a wonderful weekend. God bless. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Ryan Polly with Coffee House Questions. Won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide my way.